0: Well, good morning everyone good to see you all and thank you Glenridge for hosting us like this let's uh, thank them uh, thanks Stan and your team it's brilliant so uh, what I'd like to do before I share this morning is interview a couple of guys so um, Andrew if you can come forward please this is my brother from Manchester and Dustin bring Sarah up with you that'll be good to see but have we got another microphone for
1: these guys Dude, this Andrew, I didn't know you were here, but you snuck in the back door. Bro. This guy was at school with me, man. That's why he's
0: such a nice guy. I've got a photo. Just stand like that. I've got a photo of these two guys playing prop when they were seven years old. <laughs> Front rank <laughs> I don't know. in a little rugby team. So there we go. Uh, okay, I'll start with my brother. Who do you think's older? No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. We'll leave that as a secret. Here we go. So Andrew um, was a headmaster, led a couple of schools, and then went up to Brinston, was part of the Bryanston New Covenant team for how many years? 12 years. And uh, he, he would spend most of his time away from Bryanston. Bryanston really didn't know much of him because he was, suddenly he, he was, yeah, there's the king's carriage and then there's Henny Cater's carriage that goes all over... <laughs> Africa, he was part of that. So uh, it was a huge surprise for us when, when Andrew felt called to, to England. And so, where's Henny Kato, I'm sure? I saw you today. He's dropped you properly, didn't he? Eh? He's destroyed the work in the whole of Africa, just leaving you like that. I know that. Anyway. So, Cross, what I would like to ask you is, how did God begin to speak to you about Leaving the continent,
1: we know you love Africa so much. How, how did he talk to you? Well, I think it was about two years before we left. We left in 2019. Two years before that, God started stirring our heart with uh, just with something of of planting a church and um, and discipling people. That scripture in Matthew 28: Go make disciples of all nations. Uh, that really started to stir in our hearts, Jackie and my heart. And um, and so we went before God and said, God, we'll, this thing started to stir. And we said, God, we'll go anywhere you want. This is what you want us to do. It seems crazy at the time. Uh, I stepped onto the ground in London, uh, in, in, in the UK, the day after I turned 50. And uh, it's just like, it's crazy. At the age of 50, to sell up everything, get rid of everything, and then... Uh, And follow what God wants you to do. But it's the most exciting thing. But but why England? I mean, you look at all the nations of the earth. Yeah. Well, we did. We said, God, anywhere you want us to go. We thought of Australia. We thought of Africa. We thought of the East. Uh, It didn't occur to me, um, England. And uh, we actually were, we actually were doing a a handover of a church in England, uh, and um, we were supposed to go out there and do this handover. But when we got there, we realized it wasn't the right fit. And then the team guy said, well, Andrew, what about you? I said, no, no, no. I, I'm an African, not an Englishman. And uh, I live in Africa. And they said, actually. So, so hold on a second. You were going to do the handover of the church you're now leading yeah, to yeah. somebody else. Yeah, it's a little bit awkward. And it didn't work.
0: No. <laughs> and then the spotlight's on you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. No, that is a bit awkward. I
1: didn't know that part of the story. Yeah. Okay. So So, so uh, you, you ordain yourself? What, what happened there?
2: <laughs> so,
1: so then we came back here actually i spoke to you you were the pro- you were the one so we, we came back we submitted this to ash and um and i said actually you know what we've got british passports god seemed to just open the door and from the time that uh, god spoke so clearly to the time we landed it was only three months hmm. i think it's the suddenness of god you know he prepares us it took two years to prepare our hearts and then suddenly it, it opened so then you landed and then how long to COVID? One year, one year.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, welcome to leading a church. There we go. In that soggy little island, just to tell us the difference between what you found there and Brianston, and
1: you, he was down the south coast with Langton and the guys. I think um, I think this is what we miss the most. This is what's different. Um, you know, when you on your own there, it was a small little group of people that we, we went to, to transition. And, um, and to have someone with you that have a team around you. So I've, I've been in big teams, on eldership teams and it's, you know, you bounce ideas off but when you're there on your own, no one else to, uh, to bounce these ideas off. I had Russell Kane, who's in Liverpool, who's uh, 25 minutes away and so we did connect there um, but uh, that sense of working together in team hmm. uh, where if you don't Make it happen. It doesn't happen. Okay, last question. The guys that are sitting here, they're young guys here, they're over
0: 50s like you. And um, if they're feeling astir to go to England, I tell them, w- w- what would your advice for them be? Come
1: to Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So No, no, no. Let me, let me, yeah. I'll answer that. I'll answer that. You know, I think uh, w- when we went, there were, th- there were three things that we... Both Jackie and I prayed together and separately, but three things. One, we wanted to know the, from the Word of God what God was saying to us. Um, because when the, when the times get tough, when the tacky hits the road, man, that's the only thing you can hold on to is to the Word of God. So both of us sought God individually for words th- that we could hold on to. The second thing was, um, was actually that there would be a peace in our heart both of us on the same page to go. And, um, and that the Holy Spirit brings that peace. And we both got that. Yeah. And then the third thing was a prophetic word to confirm what God was already saying to us. And uh, Tanya McKinley, you gave us a word in 2016. And man, I've listened to that over and over again. I don't know if you remember it. But a number of words God gave us just confirming that. And then, and then God opened the door and then it was quick yeah. but uh, we had to position our hearts to the right place we had to position our hearts before God and so say God you we're going to do what you call us it's across how many churches partner with us out there about six uh, there are eight churches yeah. eight 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 relating churches and how many people in England do you know that's that stat? yeah there's about 74 74 million 74 million yeah
0: we've got eight little churches and they're little churches and I felt, you know, when I drove down here with Andrew today, I thought, you know, we've got to trust God for the nations again. And if God's stirring any of you, well, I won't take a moment until after lunchtime today. Come and have a chat. Thanks, Ross. Thanks, great. Thanks, man. Dustin, Sarah. These guys hail from Newcastle, so it's a two-day trip to come down to a partnering town. <laughs> it's, it's good to good to see you guys. Uh, Give us a bit of a background, because um, you're known to some, but not to everybody. Are you from Clackstore, but before Clarksdale, when did God get hold of you?
3: Grant, that's a good question. <laughs> I had um, given my heart to the Lord when I was uh, in, in uh, uh, Sunday school, as we used to call it, kids' ministry, when I was six. Had Jesus in my heart, but not in my lifestyle. I'm originally from Durban, so it's my home. Mm. Um, all my family are here, but it is a baboon's mess it is broken like you can't even explain. Mm. And uh, yeah, through the years, I had um, transitioned from Derbs, moved up to Clarksthorpe, Potch and Clarksthorpe back and forth. They show you how to grow a beard up there. <laughs> I helped them out, yeah. I helped them a bit. <laughs> but um, yeah, just trying to summarize it because it's such a big question to summarize. Yeah, Every Nation was the first church we were part of and uh, in Potch of Sturm. So it started out in campus ministry I'd gone from working a full-time job to doing a year of your life, yeah, at 19. So when I was 19, I'd started um, with every nation, his people, and uh, campus ministry, and then obviously those services had grown through that. Um, yeah, and then how transition. long were you
0: with Bailey and those guys? Five years. Oh. Five years? Yeah,
3: so that was from 2015.
0: And, mm. and maybe give Sarah the mic there. How, how long have you been married?
2: Almost 12 years. Okay. Yes. All right. We got married nice and young. Yes. We, from Every Nation Potch, we moved to Clarksdorp. And in Clarksdorp, we were still so part that's, of Every like, Nation.
0: Away, hey? Most yeah. people don't know where these places Northwest are.
2: Northwest province. <laughs> in the bundus, in the bush, dry atmosphere, <laughs> very flat. Um, yeah. And then we, God moved us to City on a Hill, which is Mark and Marie Bailey's church. They've just moved to the States now. And... Um, we were worshipping the one Sunday in church at City on a Hill and Peter Rass came. And he came to minister and he just pulled us together. And he said, God is preparing a place and a people for you. And we felt like we were in a tr- transition and we knew that this was spot on. We just didn't know the timing. And he said, don't worry, you're in the passageway. Praise him in the passageway and he will open the door. Wow. It wasn't even, it was about six months later that um, we got a call to go to Newcastle. We visited Newcastle, and Richard and I, who were leading there, Richard and I, Coley, they um, felt that their time was coming to an end. They didn't know when, but God made it super quick. So then in June 2020, in June 2020, level four lockdown, we moved to Newcastle. We didn't know Newcastle very well, and we weren't able to even meet with the church at that time. We met our church online. That is right. how we meet so our church.
0: Sarah, tell us about your kids.
2: Okay, my my child. Yes. Okay, I have one child, Grace, and um, she is a miracle. We couldn't have kids, so after five years of waiting and praying, God supernaturally gave us Grace. She's now we celebrated her sixth birthday on wow. Saturday. Wow,
0: wow! And is how did she handle the move?
2: Like Superwoman. <laughs> nice. She's incredible, yeah. God obviously created her and designed her in a way that can easily adapt. Okay,
0: great. Now, Dustin, tell us what's, uh, what's been your journey as a church? I saw a picture the other day of you guys in a big hall like this. What's yeah, going on there?
3: Journey as a church, we took over from Richard and Di, um, roughly 120 in the church, and in a year we've tripled, heading for quadrupled. So <laughs> our venue was great. too small, um, and uh, together with having a small venue... What's Multiple I services. Mean,
0: what, I mean, have people been getting saved? Have other churches closed down? Well, how, how do you it, quadruple a church in, yeah, in lockdown?
3: It, honestly, we know Jesus builds his church. We're just watching him doing some stuff. And we're like, Lord, you're ahead of us. And just, just help us navigate through all of these, the, the growth and the changes. God, grief. I've literally seen pictures. They're like in a basketball arena at the moment. It's,
0: uh, it's astonishing, man. And so what have you learned?
3: What not um, to do. Definitely. Give us, give us one what not to do. I, no, well I, what I'll tell you I have learned is, is transitioning a church. A, a key thing I would encourage someone to do in transitioning is to, to really focus on leading people through different leadership styles. So how the Coleys led and how we led was very different. So um, we've just found that that's been one of more of our struggles is just different styles of leadership and um, obviously going forward with that okay.
0: she well great that you're down this neck of the woods man and uh, bless you guys thanks for uh, coming up for interview newcastle eh? that's a long way away let's pray for a second father i pray that uh, as we open your word as we talk about these governmental matters, that you would speak to us, that you would, uh, for every person here, uh, that you would speak uniquely, and that what doesn't need to be heard won't be heard, and what needs to be heard will be heard. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, there was a time when. Jesus was asked about his disciples. And remember they said to them, like, the Pharisees' disciples fast, John's disciples fast, but, but your disciples don't. And the way Jesus answered them was using the metaphor with the friends of the groom. Remember that? He said when the, friend, when the groom is with them, then the, the friends, they, they're, not, they're, not, they, they're going to be celebrated. Remember that? And then of John, the baptizer, when they were questioning him about his ministry, this is what he says in John 3. The bride belongs to the bridegroom, and the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. So both with Jesus and with John, the disciples and, and ministry in those two contexts is described as being attending the groom. I think very often in ministry, we think we're attending the bride because the bride is busy being prepared. And in a sense, we are. In a sense, he has delegated responsibility as with his bride. But in both these illustrations, there's an attention to the groom. When I was pondering this the other day, this, this is the conviction that I, I think we need to live with in the ministry, is that our first priority is the groom. Our eyes are on the groom and, and as we attend the groom, he instructs us with his bride. And we get it wrong when we think we the bride's attendants. Now some of you ladies might be battling with my masculine example. I think even the bride's maids, when they attend the bride, they don't want to take her attention or affection. They want to get her ready for the affection of the groom. And so, if I had a title, what I was going to talk to you today about, it would be The Ways of the Groom. Because I think we can very easily go to what works, we can very easily go to strategic. Um, Well, I certainly can move in that way into what's strategic and expedient, but we are eye on the groom. And so I've got a list of things that I suppose have surfaced in my life over the last couple of months now that I'm living down in Cape Town. Some of you know that story. I'm spending two-thirds of my month down in Cape Town, then I pop back up to Marisburg, and I'm sort of on the coalface down there in a place where... Uh, we don't know many people, and we're coming to grips with the essence of ministry all over again. So let me go through them very quickly, and I trust the Lord speaks to you. So the ways of the groom. Firstly, as we have our attention on the groom and we're looking at his bride, the first thing I think I'd like to talk about is the fact that he gives us space to grow. God's plan for growth is that room is required, space is required. I Think of a doctor with an operation. I was speaking to a surgeon the other day, and he says, you know, surgeons can cut a body and they can do all sorts of things, but one thing they can't do is heal. They go into the body and they make the adjustments, and then they've got to get out of the way and let the body heal. They've got to give it space to heal. When you go up to your surgeon for your checkup, if he opens up your heart again to check how things are going, he's going to obstruct the growth, obstruct healing. It's it's a principle that God uses when we attend to his bride. You get in there on instruction of the groom, and then you get out and you let it grow. We've got an elder on our team who I was explaining this principle to the other day. He says, that's exactly what my sister-in-law told me. His sister-in-law is not a ministry, and this is a bit of a veteran elder. And the sister-in-law said to my friend, he said, you know, you like that waiter that hovers around the table. You should just get in, serve the food, and get out. But that isn't how you minister. You go to the table, you supply the food, then you walk around the other side and you ask how the water, then you walk around the other side and you ask if it's tasty. You're just a bothersome waiter. You must give the food and get away. Now only a sister-in-law can tell you something like that in love, hey? But the principle that was being impressed upon him was, was, actually, this is about the bride growing in space under the instruction of the groom, and, and we can overpass though, we can overlead. When Paul had finished at Antioch, Acts 13, it says, "The Holy Spirit said, "Set apart." For me, the big mouths—the ones who've been talking a lot, Barnabas and Paul—they had been teaching, they had been prophesying, they had been laying the foundations that God said set apart for them, for the work of the ministry that I have for them. Get them out of the way. I honestly believe that God has moved me to Cape Town to get out of the way of the guys in KZN. Now He's doing some things in Cape Town, and I'm I'm sure one or two of them miss us a little bit. But in essence, room has been created that the we we bandy this word around, apostolicity, don't we? And and the root of that word is going, is getting out of the way. We often see it as going, in other words, we're blessing somebody else when we arrive, but you all leave somewhere, and it's God's genius to get you to work on something and go. It's very quiet in here. I mean, even Jesus modeled it with his disciples, didn't he? He works intensely with his disciples for three years. He could have stuck around and seen the church get to 10,000 people. Of course he could have. But that isn't what he modeled. He worked intensely. Then he moves himself and says, I'm going to send my spirit and you're going to see how this thing grows. I was working with a pastor the other day who's recently taken over the leadership of this church, and there is massive pressure on him to be their first, to be their last, to shake the hands at the door. And I said to him, my friend, don't let them make you their nanny. Don't let them make you their super pastor. God's way is that we, it's his bride, we're attending to the groom, we go in on his instruction, and you, Get out! Now, the r- wrong people could be listening to this message. If you are lazy and you hardly ever pitch up anyway, you shouldn't be listening to what I'm saying right now. I'm talking to those who eat, sleep. I, I think you can get over invested, but you never heard that at a leader's time. I'm dealing with a particular pastor at the moment who's absolutely burnt out, he's, he's absolutely finished, and I was waiting on God for a message the night before. Now, he's an extremely good administrator. And I felt my, God say to me that evening, we're not going to administrate himself out of this. We're not gonna, I'm not going to teach him another ad, trick in it to administer. We're going to minister him out of this thing. So I said, Lord, give me a word for him. And when I woke up in the morning, it was as vivid as anything. I saw the picture of Isaac up on the altar. So I sent to this guy who loves the church, who bleeds for the church, who works like a 16-hour day for the church, I said, imagine what it would be like for Abraham. He was told, you're going to have a son. And the son doesn't come, and then the son doesn't come, and 10 years later, the son is not there, and all of a sudden, he arrives. This is the promise. The promise that the whole world is going to be affected by this one. Can you imagine how he handled him, how he cherished him, how he loved him? And then he gets to his early teens. And God effectively asks Abraham, whose boy is that? Effectively what the question was. Is he yours or is he mine? Now obviously the right answer is he's God's. Okay, well give him to me. Which literally means put him up on an altar and kill him. Can you imagine the conversation going up to that mountain with the boy? And we know there was a conversation because the boy asked the question, where's the, where's the sacrifice, Dad? And in Hebrews, it tells us this, that Abraham must have been reasoning this because in Hebrews 11, it says he reasoned that even if the lamb wasn't in the thicket and he had to kill him, God would raise him from the dead. Can you imagine? But, but what was God doing? God was saying, give me that boy. So I say to this pastor, and I think he thought while I was talking to him that I was going to suggest that God was saying, hand the church over, which wasn't the case. But I said to him, it's possible, this is where overinvestment in a church is possible. It's where you do your work and then you hang around and you try to do God's work. It'll kill you that. And it'll stop it growing because there's a link between space and growth. If you jam it, you like, you bonsai pot it with your smothering. It won't grow. To make something grow and make it strong, you've got to give it space. We're not talking about neglect. I'm talking to those who seriously invest, who seriously put their heart into something. And so, my first way of the groom is that there is a link between space and growth, and our hands should be on the groom, our attention should be on the groom, and then we move in and we move out. Number two, the way of the groom, he multiplies, the way of the groom, he multiplies, so we shouldn't be surprised at a church quadrupling in growth because that's multiplication. You see, I know a lot of guys who pray these prayers. God, expand my capacity so I can do more for you. Expand my anointing. Make me bigger. Make me better so I can glorify you more. That's growth by addition. But the way of the groom is multiplication. He multiplied himself in the 12 and in the 72 and in the 120. He multiplies himself. And so, I mean, it's the way of nature, isn't it? parents multiply themselves the definition of a disciple is someone who makes another disciple that's multiplication growth that's not addition growth if you want to build a church by the increase of your anointing and your capacity you are just going to add person by person until you reach your limit but if you replicate yourself I was in a starting point meeting the other day and starting point is what we do every Monday night we collect the visitors that come to church on a Sunday, and we have them in our lounge, and uh, we want to get them involved in the life of the church. So I saw this guy walking into our lounge, and I had last seen when he was 12 years old. He was in our church up until 12. I knew his mom and dad really well. The folks are elders in a church on the reef. And this guy actually wasn't in that church, but I knew that he hadn't, you know, sowed his wild oats and, and become a um, prodigal. I knew he was a good boy, but he'd moved to Cape Town to, be, to do his postgrad studies. Well, he walks into the door. He's got this long, curly mane. He looks like, you know, Phil Dooley, the, the dude who runs Hillsong beard. Six foot three, impressive looking guy. Walks in. Now, his dad's a maths professor, so I was not expecting him to be this gregarious. There were 15 people in our lounge, and he walked from person to person, finding out their life story. He, like, lit up the room. He'd come to one church service. When he went home, I said to my wife, why on earth has God brought that guy to us? Did you see him? He like just like took over. So our phone is, Dad, is, is your boy uh, walking on the straight and narrow? No, he, he is. So uh, I said to our pastors the next day, we've got a couple of full-time guys down there at our staff meeting. I said, did any of you guys meet this, this, any of you guys meet this guy? And they said, yeah, one of us did. So I said, "Well, I think we should make him a home group leader." They said, "Like, are oh, you mad, Grant? He's been to one church, one starting point, and you want to release him?" So I said, "But, but this guy—I mean, he was born in our church. He—and our home groups are not—we're we, not needing, you know, Billy Graham or, you know, Stan Phipps to lead our home groups. It's—it's really—it's quite structured." So their theology doesn't need to be all that deep. They've just got to be properly saved. And we've got to trust their heart. And, And so the pastors, you know, persuaded me to delay one more week. So I said, okay, if he comes back to church a second time, we'll give him the invitation. Because I was convinced of this thing. God has sent him to us because this guy can multiply. I could put him on a new beginner's class. I could sit him in a corner for six months. What the heck for? So I sent him a text on the next Monday. I said, hey, but it was great to see you back at church. This might be a little bit soon. Smiley face, smiley face emoji. (laughs) But as you see, we've got a lot of students that need discipling, and I know that you love the Lord and you've been with us since you were born. Well, for 12 years since he was born. How would you like to lead a home group? The reply was instant. It's definitely not too soon, Grant. Thank you for asking. I would love to. That guy's running a home group in Rondebosch and he's attracting people. He's multiplying things that I could never reach those people. Could never reach it. And so God does grow things by addition, but he sends you people and you invest in them and you release them. That's multiplication by growth. I mean, that's growth by multiplication. Number three, the way of the groom. He calls for new wineskins. Now, we are the wineskin people. Hey, everybody over 40, you, you can wave And minute. No, we are the wineskin people. We heard these preachers in the 90s, didn't we? And yet some of our churches are so old and crusty. They might have been new wineskins in the 90s, but they cracked up now. A guy came to visit me in Cape Town. He drove all the way down from the Eastern Cape. And um, I thought he was wanting to bail out of the ministry. So I said to Sue, hey, we prayed a bit before he came. And how are we going to just help this guy? He wanders through the door. And I said, okay, but what do you you want? Why have you come down here? I mean, it's nice to hang with you for three days. But what's the story? He says, no, I just want to know how to grow my church. I said, you've come down all the way to ask that. I said, but you know how to grow things. I've seen you in the ministry. He says, no, 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 no. So I said, okay, well, shh. Tell me your understanding of how your church operates and how it grows. He says, you know that toy that we give to toddlers, which is red on the one side and blue on the other, and has got little yellow shapes, the round shape, the triangle shape, the star shape, the square shape. I see my model like that. My model is like that little red and blue toy, and God gives me people, and I try to fit them, and I keep trying until I fit them into the model. I said, really, is that how you do it? I said, how do you know what shape you've got? He says, well, I use things like Strength Finder and Myers-Briggs and all these things. And I said, how's that going for you? He says, I seem to have got stuck. So I said, so where did you get this red and blue model from in the first place? He actually was a pastor of ours 10 years ago. So he says, no, from One Life and from NCMI, I've got the NCMI model. I said, the NCMI model? He has a new flash. There's no such thing. He looks at me like I've, you know, I'm a heretic. And I said, and this is even worse news. If you had to come back to Maritzburg, that thing that you think is our model was thrown away a long time ago. Instead, and this is the, I use this metaphor, his picture, and I said to him, I think this is how it works. Using this text that when there's a new thing happening, when the Holy Spirit is doing something new, Your model, your way of doing it, your ecclesiology has got to adapt to what God is doing, not the other way around. You don't go and create a model and say, now God, fill that thing. You don't go put all your principles in play and say, now God, okay, God, fill my committees, fill my teams, fill my worship teams, fill my children's church. I've got all the boxes all lined up. God, fill it. That isn't how it works. God gives you people. Some look like triangles. Some look like stars. Some look like squares. And some don't know where they're going. They're little round circles. And you've got them lined up on the table. Then you've got to say, God, why have you given me those things? And you build your model around that. He says, but God, it could be chaotic. I said, it is most times. And you know the most amazing thing about it is that, is that God does it, not you. I could see he was getting uncomfortable, so I said, listen, my friend, a couple of things that do not change, but your wineskin must. Your doctrine, you should be contending for that. That shouldn't be changing. Or maybe if God enlightens you here and there, you can tweak it slightly, but you contend for the faith that was once and all entrusted to the saints. And secondly, your values shouldn't change. Your idea of relationship and friendship and the supernatural, the stuff that you are born and raised on, those core biblical values, they don't change. In fact, you, you investigate and you interrogate your model according to your doctrine and your values. But your model, it must change. Let me give you a little illustration. When we went to the Western Cape, we wound up Sort of ministering in the southern suburbs. Strategically, if I was creating a little red and blue thing, I'd be looking in the Bible Belt, which is Durbanville, Bloberg Strand. I'd be working and it's manageable from where I am. But this is what happened to us. We were there in August and we'd never seen the daisies up the west coast. And so we said to, I said to Sue, let's go up. Langebaan and go and see the flowers. So as we drove into Langebaan, we remembered there was a home group leader from Maritzburg that had relocated there and started a coffee shop. So we pulled into his coffee shop but he wasn't there he was selling coffee up and down the West Coast. But while I'm at the counter someone in the coffee shop comes taps me on the shoulder and says I know you I've seen you on TV. I said TV no wrong person I've never been on TV. No not the real TV my YouTube TV. I said, oh, you've been watching a church service. Who gave you the link? No, I gave my heart to the Lord. You see that red couch? The guy who owns this place led me to the Lord on that couch. And he said he wasn't very confident about the churches in Langebond, so he recommends we go online. So we've been watching you online. I walk outside to my car. I'm not kidding you. There are only three GPs in the whole of Langabon. One of them was work, walking her dog. And she walked past with the dog. She stopped and said, hey, you're the pastor from One Life. I said, you are kidding me. I get to find out who she is. No, she's a doctor in town and, and, you know, she was saved already, but same story. I drive out of Langabon a little bit unnerved. Langabon is an hour and a half from where we are. I'm driving back to Cape Town and this guy's previous lead guy, Mark Bailey, phones me. He phones and he says, hey, Crawfie, I believe you're in Cape Town. I said, yes, I am. I said, I'm right here, right now. He said, please tell me you're planting a church in Langabon. Asks you, I nearly left the highway. Nearly left the highway. I said, I I could be. Why? Why do you ask that? He says, we're sending four leadership couples to Langabon. I said, you mean four people? He says, no, no, no. Four couples. Three of them are Portuguese. You'll know who the guys are who, who run those shops. They all ran home groups. So I immediately put the phone down, and we like, God, what on earth are you doing? Could it be that God's doing something here? So I phoned the dude who's still selling coffee up the West Coast, Monty, whatever that place is, casino, what's the place called? Anyway, funny place up the hill. Mykonos, that's it. And uh, I said to him, hey, this is what's happened. The phone call's just gone, so he, he goes quiet over the phone. So we didn't hear from this guy for the next two or three months. We run an equip in the southern suburbs. Who pitches up but this coffee dude from Langebot? I said, now what now? He says, no, we just felt like being with some friends. During that equip, God stirs his heart and says, we've got to get a church up and running here. But he's so reluctant, he doesn't even want to start a home group. And so we said, well, let's start a home group. We've been leading people to the Lord. 25 people pitch up at his home group first night. And the Clackstorp guys had not yet arrived. There is a massive crowd going on there. And, and so now our model includes Langebon. It's And a similar thing has happened at Somerset. Now, we would never have strategized that. Never have strategized that. It's like, who's God's given you? Where's that yellow piece? Where's that blue piece? And say, God, now show me how to build something around it. If you've got a tried and tested model, here's a newsflash. I'm not too sure the groom builds that way. He says new wineskin for the new thing that he's doing. New ways. Somebody came up and shared a prophetic word here today. And that word was new ways for a new season. Number four way over groom I think he directs you and this is in his kindness as we speak about the mission that definitely came out in that particular word I think he directs us to the man of peace most often rather than driving us to go and yell at spiritually deaf people there's two ways of preaching the gospel you you can knock on the door and if a man of peace is there you walk in Or you can yell at people. My brother was telling me about these street preachers in the UK. How many have been locked up, Croft? Seven, zero. Seven, zero street preachers have been locked up in the UK recently. And uh, I was talking to my my brother about that, and he says, look, some of them are, are very sincere people, but others are just doing a stupid thing. You can yell and scream at deaf people if you like, or you can knock on that door. I'll give an illustration. We had a traffic cop in one of our sites. And he saw on someone's status a rather profound, very spiritual saying. So he immediately gets hold of the guy. You know, he screen grabs or whatever and sends it off to him or replies to him and says to him, Is that your idea or did you copy it from somebody else? The guy says, No, actually it's my idea. He realized then that this guy was searching. In fact, I think he's probably at Glenridge right now. Stan uh, met him at our men's camp. And so he says to him, well, if you're searching like that, my friend, come with me to a men's camp. At that men's camp, Stan was preaching there. The guy gets saved, the guy gets baptized. What what did he do? He saw a man of peace. You know where I think the lowest hanging fruit is? The, The men of peace really are in your lives. It's the visitors that come to you on a Sunday. Can I just give you a little thing that I've explored since I've been in Cape Town? When I was in Marisburg, visitors that arrived at our church um, would come to a foundation class, which we called Starting Point, which where we looked at our doctrine and our vision and our values and how to get involved and all that sort of stuff. When I was in Cape Town, I suddenly realized people visiting your church don't want to know that. And we've done that for 48 years. People who come to your church seriously don't think you're a cult. They've checked that out before they came. The guys who really, really uh, astute theologically, they've listened to your sermons. They've pegged you already. So when you're gassing on about your theology, your values, your model, your history, whatever the else, they're just humoring you. They're asking these questions. Does this church hear me? do these guys see me, do they want me, and can I make this my home? And so when we, we came to that conclusion, do they hear me, do they see me, do they want me, and can I make this my home, we changed the entire way that we run our starting point. I'm not going to tell you how we do it because you won for new wineskins, you did your own way. But I think that's the lowest hanging fruit. The lowest hanging fruit. So my wife phones them on a Sunday night or a Monday morning and says, come to our home. Come to our home. And as they come in our home, we've got some snacks ready for them and we want to help them answer that question. I hear you. I see you. I want to be, you know, in your life and there's a place for you to be part. Peace. They've pitched up out of the million people in your city they've pitched up they're asking for questions they're wanting to know number five fan the flame don't try and create it now we know in 2 Timothy 1, six, Paul says to young Timothy fan the flame that is within you but also our role in ministry is to fan the flame in others, isn't it? I mean, that's what we're doing. We're urging them, this, Paul says to the Thessalonians, urging them like a father. We, we Ephesians 4 ministry is preparing saints, getting them ready. We're on a fan where God is working. Let me tell you how we, we worked in, in Somerset. I went to Somerset because there were two retired one-life people there, two couples. They both led home groups before, but they're late in their 70s, and they don't know anybody in Somerset. They've just relocated. So we did like a pastoral visit. We popped in to see them. So we introduced them to each other. They didn't know each other. And then, for some reason, we just said, look, we'll come here and we'll run a home group for you. This is 45 minutes from where we live. I remember Sue asking us, on a number of occasions, we were driving in and out of there, what the heck are we doing this for? It's like a Thursday night. It's like 45 minutes one way, 45 minutes back two geriatric couples, sorry old bullets, that, that are in this house. They don't know anybody, so they can't invite anybody to home group. But I, I, I had the sense that God was doing something. Anyway, the group grows to around about 17 people, and we find some other younger people that we know there. And so there's a, sort of like a semi-younger group and this older group. And then one day, I hear my wife on the phone with a lady in Joburg who's saying, I know a divorced woman in Newlands. Could you go counsel her? So I'm hearing this conversation going. I'm just sitting in our apartment there. So I shout to Sue and I say, babe, ask that lady if she knows anybody out here who hasn't got problems, I'll go visit them. Just kidding. So she says, actually, we do know a guy. He's in Somerset. He used to be on a We actually don't know why he's there, but he's in Somerset. So I said, give him a number. I phoned this guy. His name's Craig. I said, Craig, it's Grant Crawford. He no sound comes from the other end of that phone. So I said, Craig, hey, I'm a pastor from KZN. He says, yeah, no, I know who you are. So he was very offish, and I thought, sure, this guy's probably backslidden or something. I don't know what's going on with this guy. So I said, I hear you in Somerset. I'm coming there tonight. How about a coffee? He says, when? I said, 45 minutes. I can get there in 45 minutes. Again, silence on the phone. I arrived. And he's holding his wife like this around the neck as we come up the driveway, looking like he's seen a ghost. And as I get out of the car, he says, stop, Grant, before you come any further, I need to apologize for my rudeness on the phone. I realize I might have been rude. But this morning, I had a dream about you. I said, you, you mean like today? He said, this morning, I had a dream about you. I dreamed that you were going to phone me. So I woke up my wife and I said, Grant Crawford's going to phone me. His wife says, don't be stupid. He doesn't know you exist. (laughs) So I said, let me just clarify. Today, you had the dream. He says, nine hours ago, I had the dream. So I said, okay, buddy, I'm coming in for coffee. I don't know what God's doing with you, but he's connected us. Now, that guy comes from a house church movement, led one for for 10 years. 12 home groups. He left that because it it didn't have a missional focus. And he joined a partnering church in Joburg for a little while, a few years. And then he felt God say, move to Somerset. But he's an amazing guy. As I spent time with him, it's like like he's grown up with me. Anyway, cut a long story short, he's leading a campus now in Somerset. And at the very first one, it was like, boom! Stacks of people pitched up to it. Some of you guys were there. It's like a, an absolute miracle. Now, I would never have planned that 45 kilometers away. But there's just like an ember of life with these old bullets. And then God says, okay, faithful with that little ember. Here's something else. Blow on this one. We fan the flame, not try to create it. There are other places far closer, far more strategic. Fan the flame. Don't try to create it. And so you should be asking this question. Who has God put around me? And why are they there? Why? Why? I'm going to give you two more quick ones and then we'll bring this to a close. The way of the groom. He activates people. He activates people. I think when people get involved in the kingdom, they feel like they belong in the kingdom. When you, when you see people commit, commitment builds identity. Commitment creates belonging. And so I've, I've understood this to be one of God's ways. The priest, high priest, has now been replaced with a priesthood. And, and so we understand that. We've used that for decades... But but do we really live that? In other words, from day one, when someone comes into your church, is he encouraged to get involved from day one? So this guy's wife, Thora, said to me, look, we come out of a situation where, uh, when we've seen things, where people feel abused if you ask them to do stuff. Where's the line between abuse and blessing them by getting involved and feeling part of the family? I said, well, imagine if I adopted a child into my family. When I had three little kids around my dining room table, some of them cleaned the dishes, some of them you know, did the lawn, some of them you know, washed the car, they all had their responsibilities. Some of them cooked. Now imagine I adopted a kid and I said, look here's a special chair for you in the corner, you just sit and watch. Don't worry, we'll do all, we'll do all the family stuff, you sit and watch. You know, Kimberly will cook, Katie, will do the dishes, Keegan will mow the lawn. But you just sit there. I mean, you wouldn't do that, would you? Because you, you understand that the family does things together. When people get involved, uh, there's a pastor here who brought his kid to our service on the Sunday night. And uh, he's been very involved in a, in a church here in KZN, But in Cape Town, he hadn't been involved. So he, he comes to starting point on the Monday. So he's church on the Sunday. Starting point on the Monday. I happen to hear he's got a big lounge in Bantry Bay. On the Wednesday morning, I said to him, I heard you had a big lounge in Bantry Bay. He says, yes, I do. So I said, you know, and one of our pastors is looking for a place to start a home group. Do you mind if he starts on there? He says, I'm going to just check with my wife. He texts back, yes, no, that'll be all right. When? How about tonight? <laughs> Sunday at church. Monday at starting point. Wednesday, his lounge has got twelve people sitting around it. Brand new to the church. This last weekend, that guy spoke at our men's camp. God activates people. Where, Where is it abuse? I tell you where it's abuse. Where I'm just doing it because I want. I want to use you. If you've got this conviction that getting people involved is the best thing for them, then it's not abuse. If you hear them, and you see them, and you want them, and they know that before you ask them to do something, but that doesn't take a year. Let's move very quickly. Let me give you one last story. I'm going to land at 11. An American couple arrives there in Cape Town. This guy's pastored a church for 20 years, but this is the church he pastored. Women were not allowed anywhere near the front. Worship, prophetic words, nothing. Very conservative church. In fact, musical instruments were banned in that church. So no musical instruments. Acapella singing, 20 years. He's the lead guy. No woman takes the stage. He has two teenage daughters who are beautiful and very outgoing and a very competent wife. who's actually an author. So he's sitting in my lounge on a Tuesday night And I hear this, and I hear more of his theology, and I think, God, why have you brought this guy? Why this dude? And he's only with us for four months, and then he's going somewhere else. And then I suddenly, uh, that next morning, I thought, you know what? These girls are the most gregarious. Where's the safest place I could get them where they would be be loving, it would involve them in the life of the church? So I said, I phoned him up, and I said, Justin, church, Sunday night. 4.30, 4.30, I've got a great plan for the Americans, meet you there, bring your girls. So you're right with his three girls, his two daughters and his wife. And I look at them, we're half an hour before the church starts, and I say to them, we've got such an important role that the Americans, no one will beat the Americans at this one. In this country, COVID, we're still allowed to get people to sign in. Some visitors are slipping through the cracks. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna use the COVID protocol. To catch our visitors, we're going to pull this table right across the stairwell, the entrance, so they have to look at the table. And then I want one of your girls to sit on top of this and to spray them with that spray. I mean, like, we don't have to spray, but we're going to spray. And as they hear your accent, they're going to fall in love with you because we love American accents. The one teenage girl says, "Oh no, our accent's so polarizing." So I said, polarizing? This is a 12-year-old girl. I said, no, we love, no. You either love us or you hate us, is what she said. So I said, no, you don't know Africans. We love your accent. And your job is to soften them so when they come to your mom and dad, have to write their name down. He phones me that night. Just voice note, sorry. Simple as this. Hi, Grant. 100% retention. But you know what's been great for that couple is they've met every person coming into church. There's no danger of their theology being rubbed off. And I'm saying they're not deacons. We haven't laid hands on them, but they feel thoroughly involved. God activates people. Last one: The bride calls us to the deep." You know the story? Peter being called out of the boat. I think, as pastors, we risk way too little.
1: That's what faith
0: is, isn't it? Faith is getting water where it won't work if God's not there. Now, I'm not saying being stupid, but, but I feel God saying to you and to me, the time is too short to stuff around in the boat, sorry for the strong language. When God says go to England, go. When God says pack it up, pack it up and go. It's impossible to please God without faith. It's amazing. A, a young guy who's leading a church up in Nelspruit came through KZN and he popped in in Marinsburg. So I asked him if he had a word for our eldership team, our, our staff team. So he came in and he said this. The two men who stand head and shoulders above everybody else in their generation as being people that God applauded only lived a third of the lifespan of everybody else. Enoch only lived 300 years instead of 900. And John the baptizer only lived 30 something years instead of the 60 or the 90. Of those born of women, there was no one greater than John. And Enoch says to her, please God, and so he didn't even encounter death. But of Enoch, this is what the writer of the Hebrew says. It, that's where the, the text is, that it's impossible to please God without faith. He, he had faith because he says he walked with God faithfully. I, I feel, if you remember anything from this morning, God is saying, jump out the boat. What's the worst thing that can happen? God's not going to let you drown. He'll pick you up, man. You might be a little bit embarrassed, but rather be embarrassed a few times and risk God coming through. Let me land this with, with that. Maybe we can stand for a moment I'm going to hand this back to Stan in a moment. I I realize I've uh, told a lot of stories and I've raced through seven points. But if if I feel anything prophetic right now is that that God's giving you permission. He's giving you permission to adjust your wineskin, take a leap. You're not abandoning your doctrine, you're not abandoning your values, but your ways have to change. I'm an old dog. I'm saying, God, teach me your new tricks. Lord Jesus, as we stand before you, stand before our groom. I pray that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you are saying, what you are doing. Friends, when we have our eyes on the bride, we can get stuck. We can get demoralized. We can get um, disheartened because the lack of change and the reality of what we see in front of us. But when our eyes are on the groom, we can constantly live with this expectation that he has a higher way, he has a better way, and that he is busy with his bride. Lord, I pray that you give us eyes for the groom. There's this word, orthopraxis, I looked up the definition this morning just to make sure I wasn't remembering wrongly. It it essentially is the idea that the outworking of our faith is as important as the knowledge of our faith. So in other words, the seeing of God, the knowing of God, the enlightenment that comes through our experience with God needs to be translated in footsteps of faith. Lord, every single one of us, open the eyes of our heart, that we may see you and we know you, and we may. I pray for your spirit, Lord God, to come upon us in new ways. Let your river flow, Lord. Let the new wine come and and deliver us from damning things up and holding things back. In Jesus' name, Amen.
2: So. Th-